Please join me in taking out your Bibles and turning to Psalm chapter 47. I think we'll have uh, Psalm 47, 48, and 49 before we wrap up this installment of our summer psalm series. Um, As we turn to this portion of God's Word, let's turn to Him in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have just sung of entering your gates with thanksgiving and your courts with praise and acknowledging that you, that we are your sheep, the sheep of your pasture. And we thank you, Father, that you are the shepherd who feeds your people. You protect us, you guide us, you rescue us. And so, Father, would you be pleased to feed us now through your word? Help us to know what we are to believe about you and also what duty you ask of your people. And as we do our duty, Father, may we do it with a humble reliance upon Christ, for it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, you've been hearing it uh, so far this summer and in previous summers that the Psalms are a treasure for the church. They're at the center of the Bible, as I mentioned a moment ago, and for good reason. They are diverse. All 150 are individual songs, and yet they are unified songs as they center upon the one true and living God. Martin Luther referred to the Psalms as a Bible in miniature. He saw creation and fall and redemption, grace and glory in the scriptures. John Calvin referred to the Psalms as an anatomy of all the parts of the soul and said that in these songs that we are given and taught the right manner to pray and to praise God. Well, not only are the Psalms unified, though diverse, they are also, in a word, static and dynamic. Certain things don't change, but certain things do change. Uh, There's variety in the Psalms. Notice uh, last week, at the end of Psalm 46, we were called to be still and know that the Lord is God, to be still, to be quiet, to stop our speaking, to know the Lord is God. But here in Psalm 47, we are told to shout to God from being still before the Lord to shouting to God. Variety, a dynamic in the Psalms. Now, a number of our Psalms this summer in particular have been Psalms of lament and we have seen that God's word, as it were, gives us permission to lament in worship. What can miserable Christians sing? Songs of lament. So lament is permitted in worship, as it were. But here, as we will see in Psalm 47 and other Psalms that Praise is commanded in worship. What can miserable Christians sing? What can Christians who are living now in the all between the already and the not yet, what can they sing? Songs of praise. Songs of praise to the Lord. Now we'll see in Psalm 47 that it is a psalm for all peoples, and you see that in verse 1. A psalm for all peoples. I I want us 
to imagine for a moment. Imagine this psalm being read, this psalm being sung by all kinds of people all over the world. Imagine this psalm being read and sung in many languages, in many accents. Imagine this psalm being read, being sung by people who don't look like you, who don't dress like you, who don't have your background. Imagine this psalm, Psalm 47, being read by people, being sung by people who are different and diverse, yet people who have received and are resting upon Christ alone for salvation as he's offered in the gospel. In other words, imagine this psalm, Psalm 47, all peoples, all peoples who are united to Christ by faith singing this psalm. Well, my friends, I can assure you that your imagination and my imagination is not fantasy. It's reality. That is what is happening all around the world. With that in mind, let's read Psalm 47, 1 through 9. To the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared. A great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. Selah. God has gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Well, just as we did last week with Psalm 46, we need to look at Psalm 47 through the lens of the New Testament. In other words, look at Psalm 47 through the person and work of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament scriptures, Jesus is the promised one. In the history of Israel, in the prophets of Israel, in the psalms and songs of Israel, he is the one who is promised, the one who would be the true prophet, the great king, the priest. And in particular, this psalm will help us see and understand Jesus, the king. For those of you with us, back in a couple of years ago, we went through the gospel according to Mark. And you may remember at the beginning of Mark's gospel, uh, when the public ministry of John the Baptist led to the public ministry of Jesus, we read in uh, Mark 1.15, Jesus saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. 
repent and believe in the gospel. Why? Because the kingdom of God is here. And as we saw unfolded through Mark's gospel, the kingdom is here and has arrived because the king is here. King Jesus. Now you'll notice in the outline on page five, I went ahead and put in there one of our shorter catechism questions and answers um, that I believe uh, is helpful, and I don't think it's artificial, I think it's organic. It's coming from something like Psalm 47. How does Christ execute the office of a king? Remember, Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. How does he execute the office of a king? He executes the office of a king in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. We've heard from and seen in Psalm 47 that we are commanded to clap. We are commanded to shout, and we are commanded to sing not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, but five times. Kids, if you repeat something five times, if a teacher repeats something to you five times, it's important. Sing, sing to the Lord, we see in Psalm 47. Now, why? Why should we do what we are told to do? Why should we clap? Why should we shout? And why should we sing? Well, we got to be motivated. Um, I remember when I was a youngster and my parents asked me to do something, sometimes I responded with that one word. Remember? Why? Why? Sometimes I was really curious. I wanted to know why. But other times it was just a polite way of defiance, wasn't it? But isn't it great when we get the motivation to do what we're asked to do? Isn't it helpful? Because sometimes we're going to be in life where nobody's over us saying do this or do that, but we've got to do this or do that. We've got to have a motivation that's coming from somewhere. So are there any reasons for us to sing, to praise God in song? Uh, the Bible provides many, and, and Psalm 47 gives us at least two. But before I want to go to Psalm 47, I want to take you back to, to earlier this morning, probably about 2 or 2.30 in the morning. I'm awake. I'm thinking about this psalm. I'm thinking about a lot of things, and, and I'm thinking about this expression. You know what? The psalms give us permission to lament. And there have been a number of things going on that, man, I want to lament but you know what? This psalm is not calling us to lament, not giving us permission to lament. It's commanding us. It's calling us to clap, to shout, to sing. And I did not feel at that moment like doing anything like that. But then I went over Psalm 47 in my mind over and over again. And I realized, yes, we've got reasons to sing. I've got reasons to praise God. And here, in Psalm 47, we've got at least two. First, because God the King has conquered. And second, because God the King rules. And so let's explore these nine verses with these two motivations in mind. First, 
the first five verses, praise for the king who has conquered. Notice the call and the command to clap and shout, clapping and a visible expression of an inward attitude. If you take a look back in Saul, excuse me, 2 Kings 11, when Joash was anointed king in Judah, we read this in chapter 11, verse 12. And they proclaimed him king and anointed him, and they clapped their hands and said, Long live the king. It was a proper response to the anointing, to the crowning of the king, clapping and saying, Long live the king. So there's the command clap, shout, loud songs of joy. Why? Why? Well, first of all, for who he is. Look at verse 2. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. The Most High. God, the true and living God, his superiority over the lesser gods of the pagan world. And we hear that expression, the Most High, in Genesis, in Numbers, in Deuteronomy. We even see it back in Psalm 40. Six, look at verse four. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. Well, right off the bat, right at the beginning of the psalm, with this call to clap and shout, for the Lord the Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. Every man and woman faces a choice. Will they join in the applause or will they remain silent? Why? Why do this? Well, first, of course, it's for who he is, but also what he did as we continue. He, that is the Lord, the covenant God of Israel, he subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. Here is the history of Israel in shorthand. God is fulfilling a promise to bring his people out of Egypt through the wilderness to the promised land. It's remembering God's past actions on behalf of his people. Why? For who he is, for what he did, and it continues. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God is demonstrating his greatness by keeping his covenant promises. Because remember, kids, remember how we can look at the Bible as promises made from the Old Testament and what? Promises kept in the new. And yet you already see the promises being kept in the Old Testament as well. And when he mentions Jacob, the psalmist mentions Jacob, it's, it's old covenant language that's Speaking of God's old covenant people, fulfilled in the new covenant people of Christ, both Jew and Gentile. It's reminding also that the land that they were given was all of grace. Yes, they had to fight, but God was with them. God was the one who subdued peoples under us. He chose our heritage for us. God chose his people and set his love upon his people. Why? Why praise God? Why clap? Why shout? 
Look at also what he has done. God himself has gone up with a shout. The Lord with the shout of a trumpet we read in verse 5. It's an allusion many believe to that passage we read in 2 Samuel 6 when in King David's day the Ark of the Covenant came into Jerusalem. Remember it stayed for a month or so in the other home and that home was blessed and then David brought it in to Jerusalem with shouting and dancing and music. He has gone up with a shout. And most scholars see this also as alluding looking ahead to the ascension of Jesus after his resurrection as he ascends to the heavens and is seated at the right hand of God, that that God is gone up from the earth to return to his place where he rules. And Paul makes that uh, pretty much directly clear in his letters to the Ephesians and Colossians of Paul writing of Christ reigning and ruling from heaven and uniting all things under him. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Loud songs of joy. It's a joy of submission because God is the rightful king, the one we were created to know, to serve, and to love. The result of his conquest is joy, not sadness. They clap their hands because of his rule over them. The greater the submission to this king, this true king, the greater the pleasure, the greater the joy. So we see that we are to clap, to shout, and to sing because the king has conquered. Now the first part of Psalm 47 I think looks back, but now this second part that we're going to look at now looks to the present and indeed looks to the future as it calls the reader, it calls you and me to sing praise to the God who rules. Let's start with verse 6. What's the command? Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. It was fun to look at several different translations of how the original um, Hebrew and then the, the Greek Uh, version of the Old Testament, how this was translated. And in every translation I could found, sing praises, sing praises, sing praises, sing praises. And then you see it in verse 7 as well at the end, sing praises with a psalm, with this song. Five times sing praises In other words, join the applause with your whole heart. In Isaiah 29, the Lord speaks through Isaiah of people who draw near to him with their mouth, who honor honor him with their lips, but their hearts are far from God. Jesus picks up on that when he's looking at the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, but here... Sing praises, sing praises, sing praises. It's drawing our attention that this can't be just an outward action. No, it's got to be coming from the heart. The lips are moving and the question for us is, are are our hearts moving as well? Now why? Why five times sing praises? Well, for who he is. Of course, we read 
In verse 7, for God is the king of all the earth. For God is the king. In verse 2, God was referred to as a great king and now he is the king of all the earth. That's motivation enough, isn't it? But the psalmist continues, why? For what he does. Look at verse 8. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. Is that not a picture we've already seen in the Psalms? God ruling and God reigning. Especially when the psalmist is in trouble. He's crying out for help. He's distressed. He sees the Lord sitting on the throne, reigning and ruling from on high, and yet that reigning and ruling Lord comes near, as we saw last week. He's a very present help. There's great joy under submission of being conquered, but there's also great peace now because of the king who rules. There's the joy of submission And there's the joy of God's gracious rule. Years ago, I was living in Virginia, and I was up in Richmond for an outdoor concert. And it was by a, a musician, a contemporary Christian musician, and he started off um, probably midway through the concert, and he and he sang this: "This is my father's world." Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. Of course, this is my father's world from the Trinity hymnal. And we see it. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. What a picture. What an image. Now, at this concert, the singer and songwriter said, but I had to translate that great hymn. In some, in some of my own words. And he said this. What I see is telling me I'm going crazy. But what is real says God's still on his throne. What I need to remember is one thing. That the Lord of the gentle breeze is Lord of the rough and tumble. And he is still king of the jungle. That's what the psalmist is saying. God reigns over the nations. God is gentle and quiet and God can exercise his voice as we heard last week and there's desolation. The king speaks and there's life. The king speaks and there's peace. The king sits and there's peace. Psalm 47 could have ended right there, right? What a great ending. God seated on his throne. What peace, what comfort for us. But as you know, it it continues. And so let's take a look at verse 9, a a long verse. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. The princes of the people peoples gather. You know, back in in Psalm 2, the princes of the peoples rebelled. Here, the leaders of all kinds of people are gathering. 
as the people of God, of the God of Abraham. The innumerable princes and peoples are becoming one people. You see, the people who have been subdued are becoming the people who are being incorporated. It's an astonishing vision here. Eventually, God's people, the children of Abraham, will include people from every tongue and tribe and nation. My friends, this is the fulfillment of God's covenant with Abraham back in Genesis 12, where the Lord called Abram. He said, I will bless you and you will be a blessing to the nations, and people that curse you will be cursed, and people that bless you will be blessed. It was the beginning of the promise. It's the fulfillment here of the covenant with Abraham that all nations will be blessed through him. And my friends, grace and peace, we are part of the fulfillment of the promise of Abraham. And all around the world, those who are united to Christ by faith, as we saw in Galatians, those who believe and trust Jesus are the children of Abraham, the father of faith. This vision that we see being fulfilled was promised to Abraham, but it's only in Jesus Christ, in the ultimate the ultimate man, the ultimate one who who obeyed God fully, who, who paid the price for his people's sin. It was only in Jesus that this could be realized. And as a result of his death and resurrection and now ascension to the greatest throne, it's being realized. And we see in Revelation 7 that there will be a great multitude of people from every tongue and tribe and nation. A few weeks ago, we sang King of the Ages, I believe. King of the Ages, almighty God, perfect love, ever just and true. Who will not fear and bring you praise? All the nations will come to you. And we see that here at the beginning of verse 9. And it continues, for the shields of the earth, uh, an expression for for the leaders, the kings of the earth belong to God. All of the kings, all of the nations belong to God. He is highly exalted. He is highly exalted. Well, this, of course, is pointing forward to Jesus. You see, this is an evangelistic psalm. The nations are exhorted to acclaim Jesus, the ascended king. The psalm concludes with this uh, declaration, he is highly exalted. You remember what Jesus said Back in John 12, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Lifted up on a cross, then put in a grave, and then lifted up in the resurrection, and lifted up in the ascension. And after Paul writes of the humiliation of Jesus Christ in Philippians 2, after Paul writes of of Jesus' obedience to death, even to death on the cross, what does Paul write? Therefore, 
God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. My friends, Psalm 47 helps us understand the majesty, the glory, the beauty of Jesus Are you singing this psalm right now? Can you sing this psalm? Oh yes, our opening hymn was Psalm 47. Are you singing it with your heart? Are you singing it from your heart? You see, this psalm is is promoting this unbelievable vision of people all over the world coming to faith in Jesus. Um, Have you ever seen the scene when somebody starts clapping after a performance, right? And what happens? Another person joins in and before long, everybody is clapping. You've been to the performances maybe of a symphony or a theatrical um, play and, and it's so good that one person stands and then another and then another. This psalm has that idea that more people are going to clap, more people are going to shout, more people are going to sing. My friends, before the gospel goes out from you, it's got to be first received by you. Do do the people around us see us as it were metaphorically Clapping before the Lord, shouting a song of joy to the Lord, singing praises to Him. Why would they want to do that without us first doing that? You see, when we are clapping, when we are shouting, when we are singing praises, we will want others to join us. You see, there will be great joy and reverent fear because this king who this psalm is speaking of is not a tyrant, he's not a despot, he's not an authoritarian, totalitarian dictator. This king, this king is our savior. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for helping us grow in our understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, may we not only grow in our understanding of him, but grow in our love for him. And as we grow to know Jesus more and to love him more, Father, may you Give us a growing desire to share him with others, to proclaim the good news of the gospel. Father, we thank you for this vision of the nations coming before you. Father, may you be pleased to use this church for your purposes in reaching the nations with the good news of Jesus Christ. For we pray in his name. Amen.